But we are in our third week in this series entitled Game Changers. And really what we mean by that is looking at God's word and reminding ourselves that God's word provides promises that can change our life. There's over 3,000 promises in the Bible. And we are definitely not taking every week to look at every one of those promises. But what we have done is, is really look at six promises that, that really categorically you could put all the promises that are found in God's word under these six themes that are found in these passages of Scripture. And remember what I said at, at the, at when I kicked off this series, that oftentimes we view a white flag as a symbol of defeat, I also mentioned how if you've grown up in North Carolina, you think of the white flag as the last lap of a race car race. Uh, but let me just point your attention to, normally most of us think of it as surrender. And not surrender in a good way, but surrender in an uh, idea of defeat. But when we look at these passages of Scripture, what God wants your posture to be and what God wants my posture to be as I approach God's word in every aspect of it when I read it, but in these promises specifically, that we would approach it as, God, I'm surrendering myself to what your word says, knowing that it changes my life. And really what we're doing here in these six promises is really trying to, to provide for you ammunition that you can have on you at all times, that when you encounter different things in your life, there are verses that you can pull up in your memory to speak truth to whatever lie you are tempted to believe. We looked the first week at the promise of salvation and a passage of scripture that, that is not clearer, could not be more clear, I should say, to who we were, who we are, and what God is doing in us than Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I, hopefully you have that card, you have it on your refrigerator, you have it in your Bible, you've been meditating on it, you've been working at memorizing it. Last week we looked at the promise of restoration, and so often we so struggle that when we wander away from the Lord that we've wandered too far, that we're too far from God's grace, that we're too far from, from God restoring us and continuing to use us. And we looked at John 21 last week, and this week we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Proverbs 3 that is probably very familiar to you, but it's a promise that can change your life. Let me give you background to chapter 3 of Proverbs. We're going to look specifically at verses 5 and 6, but let me give you some background to chapter 3 because you know we're a church that preaches verse by verse, whether we're in a more topical series like we are today or whether we're walking through a book. It's important to understand the context so that we can understand the verses the way the Lord desires us to. And so let me give you a little bit of context to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is probably the most positive chapter in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs being 31 chapters, chapter 3 is the most positive, the most encouraging, the most instructive, really, if you're looking at what's included in one chapter. It is an education in life at what is God's best for you. So that you can live well in every area of life, whether that be at home, whether that be at work, all around. 
Chapter 3 is such an encouraging chapter in the book of Proverbs. And here's why. Because step by step, what we find is you have a father giving instruction to his son. But he's not giving instruction how we oftentimes give instruction, right? Do this. Why, Dad? Because I said so. But you don't see this father giving instructive to his son in that way. In fact, he's giving incentive. Here's what you will find is, is this idea. He will say this. He's saying, do this. You need to do this because it will help you. So you don't find this father just being this, this obstinate, domineering person, but he's giving incentive. I want you to do this because it's going to help you in your life. And we know God's word is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We say this every week when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. So we can look at chapter 3 really as God giving instruction to his children saying, I want you to do this. Why? Not because I said so, but because it will help you. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, whether you have it in your Bibles, whether you have it on a tablet or a phone, would you read these two verses with me this morning? I know they're familiar. You may already have it memorized. Hopefully you grabbed one of these cards. If you do not, that you would have it memorized. These are some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. So read it with me. Let's start in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, I said that these are the most familiar verses in all of Proverbs. Maybe not to you, but to most people. But here's what I've found when I go to familiar passages of Scripture. I'm speaking of myself. Is often the most familiar can be the most forgotten. I already know that. Yeah, I know those two verses. Yeah, I have those two verses memorized. Yeah, I may even have those two verses on my wall. But I want to encourage you this morning that if that's you, I want you to pray right now that God would allow your eyes to see these verses in a fresh way, in a new way. That rather than dismissing them, you are submitting yourselves to them and saying, Lord, would you show me if there's an area in my life that contradicts what my father is wanting to instruct me as his child. Here's the title of the message if you're taking notes this morning. We're looking at the promise of direction. Promise of direction. And here's really what I want you to understand in these two verses. That straight paths from God. Is that not what it says? He will make straight your paths. Straight paths from God are a result of a surrendered posture towards God. That my paths being straight are a result, are a consequence of a surrendered posture toward God. I mean, when I'm reading these two verses, what do my eyes automatically gravitate to? Like if they're new verses to me or if they're familiar verses to me, I love the phrase, he will make straight your paths. Raise your hand. Is there anyone that doesn't want that this morning? Amazing. No hands are raised. We all want that. 
every one of us want this. We want this promise in our life, but what we need to understand this morning is that this promise is a consequence of a surrendered heart. That if I'm surrendered to God, then I will experience my paths being straight. You have questions this morning? What do I do in this? Where do I go? How do I decide this? Do you have questions this morning? Are you wondering which way do I go? Do I go to the right? Do I go stay on this lane? Do I merge to the left lane? Where do I go in life in this particular situation? Man, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great promise to pull up when we are tempted to think that God will not give us the direction that we need. Man, when I think that, I ought to pull up Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and not say, no, 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 no. This is what I know is true to speak to what is a lie. So if straight paths from God are the result of a surrendered posture towards God, then here's what I want to answer this morning by allowing God's word to speak. What does it look like to have a surrendered posture towards God. If that's what's necessary to experience straight paths from God, then what does that look like? And I love that God's word provides the answer. Aren't you glad for that? I'm gonna give you two characteristics of a surrendered posture towards God. The first one is found in verse five. We just read it. Here it is, number one, a wholehearted trust. That's a characteristic of a surrendered posture towards God. A wholehearted trust. Now that word trust is an interesting word. It literally means this, to throw oneself down on one's face, to lie down, spread eagle in complete reliance. That's a significant word. That's a deep word. You're like, man, I had no idea there was that much substance to that word trust. Well, the Hebrew word for trust has this idea. So I'm gonna allow this to stick in your memory. Here's, here's what this looks like. It looks like, so we're gonna have to pan away so you can get this. It looks like me, what it looks like for me to trust is literally getting down on my face, but not like this, spread eagle, snow angel, in the opposite way. This is what it looks like for me to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I hope that will be burned into your memory. Because otherwise I just wasted, am I clean? All right, the floor's clean. That's what it means to trust. So I was thinking about this passage of scripture as I was flying to Israel and flying back from Israel. I promise I said this, you won't hear me say Israel every week, I promise. So, long flight. To Israel, 10 and a half hours. Back from Israel, 12 hours. We flew out of Newark, straight shot over to Tel Aviv. So, what do you think I'm thinking of when I am about to get on the plane? Now, not, not just sleeping, yes, that's part of it, but I'm thinking, please, Lord, let me not have a middle seat. Because I can tell you, I ain't flying first class or business class. We were in economy. So we were with the normal people. And I was thinking, Lord, please do not allow me to get a middle seat. What seat do you think I got over there? That's right, middle seat. So I'm there in the middle seat. I'm behind this. I'm there in the middle seat. I'm, I'm behind 
but I'm trusting, I'm trusting this chair right now. So another illustration of trust. I'm sitting beside this Orthodox Jew in the, in the window seat, and then I'm sitting behind someone else, and, and um, let's just say I didn't have a lot of room. So I'm sitting there for 10 and a half hours. So they give out the food, right? And I'm like, I'm literally like this. <laughs> Not to mention the lady in front of me who is also on this trip, one of the pastor's wives, has her seat all the way back. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I be polite to this lady because I'm gonna be with her for eight days? So I'm enduring that. I literally felt like I was eating like a T-Rex. Like this was, this was my motion. But you know, finally, you know what I did? I'm like, okay, we're gonna make the best of it. You know what I did? I put on my neck pillow, got myself all situated, like this was really cute. I, I had my, my whatever these things are called, and this is the way I slept <laughs> all the way to Tel Aviv. Now here's what's awesome. I never have preached before with a neck pillow, so that's the first. So here's what happened on the way back. On the way back, God was very gracious. I was thinking to myself again, I'm going to have a middle seat. Did I have a middle seat? Yes, I had a middle seat. But here's what's awesome. There was a pastor who I got to know who had two seats empty next to him. So I got to go to the window seat. He was on the aisle seat. We had a middle seat. Man, I was stretched out. I had the, the glasses on. I took a sleeping aid. Don't judge me. I took a sleeping aid. I got it on Amazon.com, so it was legal. I... And so I just, man, I slept, because it's 12 hours back, you don't have the jet stream, I slept like a baby. I woke up two hours before we landed, got to do some more sermon prep. It was glorious, man. It was glorious. Now, here's why I give all of that. I take time out of this message to give that silliness. Because not one time did I think to myself, is that pilot qualified to get me to Tel Aviv? Not one time, I thought about middle seat, I thought about how am I gonna eat this dinner like a T-Rex, I, I thought about all of those different things. But I never thought that the pilot didn't have the competence to get me to Tel Aviv. I not once did that enter my mind. It didn't enter my mind when I came back. I went on that plane, sat in that seat, regardless of where it was, and man, I put complete trust that those people flying that plane could get me to where I was headed. And I was thinking about that when I got done being rebuked by the Holy Spirit of complaining that I was in a middle seat, knowing that how many people get to go to Israel for free, that Lord, this is what it looks like in a common experience to trust. To trust. God, you're competent, I'm not, to get me where I need to go. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, people that have put their trust in Jesus' perfect life, perfect death, and resurrections, we stake everything on the trustworthiness of God keeping his promise. Is that not right? I mean, let's call it for what it is. And if God is not trustworthy, then guess what that means? We are all doomed this morning. But if he is trustworthy, then we are all saved. Now, me posing that question, that makes some of you very nervous. What if it's not true? 
What if it's not true that if I trust him with all my heart that he will make straight my path? What if that's not true? Well, let me point your attention to the name that the Lord uses to deal with any anxiety you're feeling this morning that God is not trustworthy, that you cannot trust him wholeheartedly. Because what does a surrender posture towards God look like? Wholehearted trust. Look at that word in in. in whether it's on your screen or on your lap or whatever it may be, that word Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Review here, review. That is the name of God, which is Yahweh. Does anybody remember the theological long word that that represents? Look at you guys, A plus, tetragrammaton. That is the most common word for the Lord, 5,321 times that's mentioned in the Old Testament. But here's the significance of it. If you have forgotten, that is the signature name of God. That when God is giving you a promise, this is the name that the Lord uses to deal with any anxiety you are feeling that what he says is not true. He signs his name to it. I am the self-existent one, the self-sufficient one. I am the one that is with you wherever you go. Every time you see that word mentioned, capital L-O-R-D, and if you don't have that in your Bible, then get another one. Because that is the word that is used. That's the significance. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I have doubts that God is truly trustworthy, well, allow what he signed to give you assurance that this is true. But how can we tell if we're trusting wholeheartedly? Like we've talked about that God is trustworthy, that that God always keeps his promises. He uses his name that signifies that he's trustworthy. But how do I know if I'm trusting the Lord with all of my heart? Let me give you two diagnostic questions this morning that are going to help you, that are going to help me determine whether or not I am trusting the Lord with all of my heart. Here's the first one, and it's found at the end of verse 5. Look at what it says. Do not lean on your own understanding. You ought to underline your own. Because what I've found in my life is It's going to indicate for me whether I am trusting the Lord according to this passage of Scripture is this. First, do you let the Bible veto your own thinking? Do you do that? That my thinking, my thoughts, my emotions, my ideas is subservient to what God's Word says. Do you let the Word of God veto Your own thinking. And I say that is a diagnostic question because of what we see in verse 5. Do not lean on your own understanding. Let me ask it this way. Do you merely agree with the Bible or do you trust the Bible to be God's word? You're like, what's the difference? Here's the difference. If you merely agree with the Bible, then your response is not trust but coincidence. Oh, yeah, Johnny preached on this passage of Scripture this week. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But what happens when you preach on a passage of Scripture that convicts or challenges your own thoughts? Then what's your response? See, there's a difference between agreeing and trusting in God's Word. Agreeing, 
deals with, man, it's just coincidence that this happened to be the same type of thinking that I adhere to. No, no, no. Not agreement, trust. See, what do you do when the Bible contradicts what you want to be true? How you want to live. When the Bible's no longer the cultural majority, but it is actually the cultural minority, then what do we do? Then what do we trust? Am I leaning on my own understanding or am I trusting in the Lord with all my heart, which means I see the Bible as the means by which I know what to trust God in. See, what this proverb is saying is one's private vision of right and wrong is not something to be leaned upon but surrendered to God. See, that word understanding is an interesting word as well. It doesn't imply, just doesn't imply intellectual capacity like what's your IQ or how much do you know, but it really implies your own moral standards. See, I told you there's a lot of depth in these two verses that maybe you didn't realize. So trusting in the Lord with all my heart means not leaning on my own understanding what I believe to right to be right or wrong, what the culture tells me to believe is right or wrong, what my traditions in growing up have told me what is right and wrong. No, 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 not agreement with the Bible, but trust in the Bible because the Bible is God's word. And the danger is, is that when I find myself leaning on my own understanding, I'm a fragmented person. I'm going here sometimes and here the other times and, and, and man, I'm straddling a fence. And what does James 1 say? That you are double-minded in all, unstable in all your ways if you are trying to live this fragmented life. I agree with this. I don't agree with that. No, no, no. That's your own understanding. See, surrendering yourself in a posture that indicates that towards God is first of all, characterized by a wholehearted trust. See, when does wisdom cease to be wisdom? When does my wisdom cease to be truly God's wisdom? When I begin to think that I'm wise. That's when wisdom ceases to be wisdom. And this warning doesn't suggest that we throw our brains into a trash can because our intellect has been given by God. Doesn't mean we, don't, we, we ignore our own intelligence because our intelligence has been given to us by God. That's God's common grace on our lives. But it does caution us not to put all of our weight on our own wisdom and our own experience. Look at the next two verses, verses seven and eight that follow Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Look at them. The father instructing his son, remember, do this because it is your best, says this, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, that literally means submit, surrender to the Lord. God, I know who you are and I know who I am. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and bones. See the incentive there. See, a truly wise person knows his limits, knows their limits. I know my limits. You know your limits. 
that I can't allow myself to be guided by whatever is in vogue in the culture today or whatever I'm feeling today because what happens in that is I'm pulled in a million different directions. But Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord, surrendering to the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, I'm here to tell you this morning, I've lived like a fool before. I've leaned on my own understanding. And I can tell you this, that every time that I have, it's never produced a positive result. See, at the end of the day, your trust and my trust is determined by one question. And you ought to write this question down. So much of what I struggle in life to believe and to live by, and the same is true for you. So many times this the struggle that I have to submit to this, to say yes to this and no to the world and no to what the culture is telling me boils down to this one question. You're like, Johnny, would you say it already? Here it is. Do I believe the Bible is the word of God? 99% of the things that you struggle with And believing that God is trustworthy boils down to that one question. Do I truly believe that this Bible is the word of God? Because if I do, then I'm not leaning on my own understanding. Turn over to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. You ought to write 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 in the margins of your Bible right next to Proverbs 3.5. It says this, all Scripture, let me give you time to go to it. It's on the screen if you, if you aren't there yet. Say those two words with me. Ready? Say them with me. All Scripture. Say it again. All Scripture. Not some Scripture, not the Scripture that I like to agree with. All Scripture. From the beginning of this book to the end of this book is what? Is breathed out by God. These are God's word. Listen to me, there's a reason why I have you say that phrase, when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. It's not to be cute. It's to drive into our brains that these words that we open every day, that we sit, or we open every day, hopefully, that we open definitely when we gather here, that we sing about when we gather together. These are God's words. These are the words that I need to trust. All scripture is breathed out by God. And what is it profitable? What is it good for? This is a two verses that you ought to have memorized as well. For teaching. You know what that means? What I need to know. For reproof. That has the idea of what I didn't do based on what I knew. I need to be reproved all the time for correction, how to make it right, and for training in righteousness. Lord, how do I grow in my walk with the Lord? It's when I understand that all Scripture is breathed out by God, when I trust it wholeheartedly, when it's more than just a matter of agreement, it's a matter of trust. That the man or woman of God may be complete. That word complete has the idea of mature, not sinless, mature, equipped for every good work. See, if you trust the Lord, you'll let the Bible challenge your thoughts, challenge your feelings, 
challenge your doubts. And here's the wonderful thing about our Lord. He cares about your thoughts. He cares about your feelings. He cares about your doubts. He cares about your questions. He doesn't get angry with them. He doesn't get perturbed by them. He doesn't get frustrated by them. He wants you to take those things to him. He wants you to take those things to God's word. He wants to speak into your life in ways that are for your best. He's a good father. He's not saying, do this because I said so. No, no, no. We have two verses here that give the incentive. I want my paths made straight, and so do you. And it takes a wholehearted trust. Here's another diagnostic question. I spent a lot of time on that diagnostic question because I think it's important. Number one, do I allow the Bible to veto my own thinking? Here's another one. When was the last time you took a risk for Christ? That's going to reveal a lot on whether I'm trusting the Lord wholeheartedly. Here's what I mean by that. When was the last time you risked something socially, financially, professionally for his sake? Do not lean on your own understanding. When was the last time your life looked obviously different from the life of someone who doesn't trust Jesus at all? See, what I've found is I'm living my life in such a way that those around me who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, if they're, if they're not surprised by the decisions and maybe even, can we use this word, sacrifices that I'm making for Christ, I wonder if it's because I'm aimed at the same thing that they are. When's the last time you've taken a risk for Christ? Because wholehearted trust takes faith. Can I get an Amen. There's been so many times in my life, I'm like, Lord, please don't ask me to do that. (laughs) But what's God growing in me? Trust. He wants me to grow in understanding that promise that I'm going to make your path straight when you trust in me with your whole heart. Let me give you three criteria for risk just quickly because I don't want to throw out that word without defining it because by no means am I saying go to Vegas and put all the chips in the center of the table because God wants you to take a risk. I'm being dramatic with that illustration, but I want to make sure you understand a risk for Christ will never contradict his word. Never. This isn't coming from these two verses, but I want to make sure I'm defining myself. Risk will never contradict God's word. Hebrews 6.18 says, it's impossible for God to lie. So when I'm sitting across from someone across their desk and they're like, yep, the Lord wants me to live with my girlfriend or boyfriend before we get married, and I think that the Lord has given me peace on that. You know what I'm saying to myself? How do I lovingly encourage you that that's not what God's word says? Never contradict his word. It always stands up to wise counsel. A risk always stands up to wise counsel. Listen to me, whenever God's taking me a risk, and I don't have time to mention the risks that I have taken, I've always gone to God's or to wise counsel and saying, can you pray with me on this? Can you speak about this? What does Proverbs 24, 6 say? For by wise guidance, you can wage your war and in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. And here's a third characteristic, man, a, a risk for Christ will strengthen your faith. Because James 1, 3 says, the testing of your faith produces perseverance 
perseverance. Listen, A.W. Tozier, he was a pastor, lived from 1897 to 1963. Listen, if you find a book that has A.W. Tozier as the author, man, you need to read it. Amazing. But he says this, and he nails it in this in these sentences. He says, pseudo-faith always arranges a way out in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitutes. Wholehearted trust. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse, and not since Adam stood upon the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. Listen to me, today what God's word is calling us to do is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with everything right now that is terrifying you and holding you back and holding me back. He wants your full weight. Do I need to do it again? Full weight on him. He will never fail anyone who trusts him wholeheartedly. No pseudo faith, listen to me, because we don't serve a pseudo savior. He's real. He he is all he claims to be. He is right now all he has ever been to anyone anywhere. And he offers his total self to you today on terms of his total grace. And what he deserves and demands is our total trust in the love and mercy and wisdom of God in Christ alone. What is necessary for a surrendered posture towards our Lord? A wholehearted trust. And here's the second thing, and it's found in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Wholehearted obedience. So you don't have one without the other. They're almost two sides of a coin. See, I say wholehearted obedience because that phrase, in all your ways, literally means in all you do. All in. Nothing held back. So if I want the Lord to make straight my paths, then that means I need to wholeheartedly obey him. God, I'm all in. I don't know what that means right now. I don't know what that's gonna cost me. I don't know. But Lord, here's what I know. You are trustworthy. You are a good God. You're gonna make my path straight. So God, I'm gonna obey right now, even when I don't see the destination. And that word acknowledge is an interesting word as well because it literally means to surrender, but to surrender in such a way to where you know the Lord more intimately. See, what I've found in my life is over time and in my walk with the Lord, the more that I am trusting him, the more that I am surrendering to him in obedience, the more that I get to know him. In all your ways, acknowledge, know him, surrender to him. See, surrendering your way to God's way, listen to me, it goes against my nature It goes against your nature. Nobody in here is like, yeah, surrendering to God's easy. Next passage of scripture. No one says that. It's not easy. It goes against our nature. Why? Because I want to determine what's right. I like it when I can determine what's right. I like it when I can say I don't have a boss. Listen to me. Eight days in Israel, 
with 50 other pastors, I felt like I was on an extended elementary education field trip. All right, everybody, we're getting off the bus now. Make sure you have your water. Make sure you have your hat. Make sure you have this whisper, which is this little thing in your ear that you can listen to what the tour guide is saying. And then at the end, everybody, they're, they're counting how many people are here. Why? Because pastors are horrible at following directions, I guess. But man, I was, you know what, one of the things that I was so glad to no longer have is someone telling me where to go and when to go there. It's against our nature. How many of you like Frank Sinatra? Raise your hand. Yeah, I like, I like listening to him every once in a while. You know, that crooner music. Probably the most famous song he has is this song, My Way. When I thought about this song, I mean, I've listened to this song. I'm like, yeah, I kind of like that. Did it my way. Like, it's probably the only crooner song that you can play before a sporting event to get you charged up a little bit, right? But notice the words. And I'm not reading these words because they align with what we're saying this morning. I'm reading them because this is our nature. It says this, and now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. For what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the word of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows. I did it my way. Now compare that to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Because these two verses are warning us against a spirit of self-assurance. But here's how God's mercy speaks to us. He doesn't say it, and the Lord doesn't give us instruction this morning in a condemning way, but in a dad who's saying, trust me, trust me with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways, acknowledge, surrender, know me, because I want to make straight your paths. 